Hey, hey, welcome to the Swine Time Podcast. I'm your host, Brian Swinehart. I'm originally from Covington, Ohio. Now I live in Los Angeles. I'm a stand-up comedian, and uh, this is my weekly podcast. Thank you, everybody, for listening. Last week, uh, as my sister Kristen came on, we got a lot of great uh, responses from uh, all of her positivity. And um, this week, I have another special guest, um, uh, a mentor of mine. I mentioned him in the podcast last week, Gene Perret. Gene Perret has written over 50 books. He uh, was a uh, writer for uh, Bob Hope, Carol Burnett, and Phyllis Diller. He uh, has a lot of experience in uh, in the comedy writing business and in the stand-up comedy world. And uh, he is uh, very respected in the business and has been a great mentor with for me. And I'm here with Gene and his daughter, uh, Linda, who is also a phenomenal writer and I'm excited to have uh, Gene Perret on the show today. So, everybody, big round of applause for Mr. Gene Perret. <laughs> yeah. Welcome, Gene. Thanks for coming on. Good. Yeah. Um, so, so, we're happy to have you on today. And uh, just kind of wanted to talk to you a little bit about uh, about writing and uh, your experiences in the entertainment industry and, um, you know, kind of what, what has motivated you and some of your... Uh, you got a lot of stories to share with us and... Mm-hmm. Um, so I just kind of like, uh, want to talk to you about that to get started on, um, maybe tell us a little bit about, um, how you got started in the business and, uh, what inspired you to become a comedy writer. Okay. Yeah. I got started in the business. Uh, I just enjoyed comedy. So it became like a hobby of mine and, uh, I would write jokes and I would, I would copy or I'd study Bob Hope. Mm -hmm. I would tape his monologues type them out, study them, and then try and duplicate them. And then I put it into practice where I worked. Uh, if anybody retired or had a 25-year party or something, they'd ask me to be the MC, And I would open with like 25, 30 jokes about the guest of honor. And it went very well. So they asked me every time they had a party, I was like the MC. So uh, that led to me writing for Phyllis Diller. A friend of mine was working at the plant where I worked, and then he interviewed Phyllis. He was a stringer for a paper, and one of his assignments was to interview Phyllis, and he mentioned that the guy at work tells a lot of funny jokes, and she said, tell him to send me some. So I did, and she bought them, and I said, this is not bad. (laughs) So that's kind of where things took off. I was writing a little bit before then, but Phyllis Diller really made things She happen. gave you kind of your start, your breakthrough. <clears throat> yeah, she had a show, she got on the air, um, the beautiful Phyllis Diller show in 1968, and I worked for it. She asked that I be on the show, not on the show, but writing for yeah. the show, and I did, and then it was canceled that one year. And the producers liked what I did, so they recommended me to other producers, and that led to to the Jim Neighbors show, and then everything else after that. Wow, that's great! And um, so, I would like to talk to you a little bit about your um, kind of a, a method, a style of of getting getting the jokes out, and uh, kind of your maybe your process of of writing jokes. Yeah, yeah. My, I would start with anything I was writing with the premise. You have to write about something. 
So you need an idea to talk about. And once I got that, my procedure was to go to references and gather as many references as I could, and they tie in with the jokes. But by references, I mean like if we're talking um, baseball, you talk about different references to it. Um, the ba bases are loaded. He hit it out of the ballpark. He slides into second. He's stealing home. Any phrases or any, anything at all that has to do with baseball. Uh, people, Babe Ruth, Joe DiMaggio. And you just gather a list of random references. And then what I would do is re refine that. I would now go to specialized references. For instance, people, places, things, events, and sayings or cliches. And anything like that that had to do with baseball or whatever topic I was writing on. Like people, again, you'd say Babe Ruth, Joe DiMaggio, uh, Johnny Bench, whatever. Uh, Sandy Koufax. Uh, places, you would mention Fenway Park, uh, Sandlot. Anything that had to do with that sport. And then events and so on, cliches. And then when you come to writing the jokes, you have a setup line but you didn't know where it was going, so you'd look through your list of references, and maybe that would give you the ending that you were looking for. Um, like a saying would be, um, he got good wood on the ball. Mm -hmm. And um, I was watching a game one time with my nephew, and one of the players got hit in the head. And he said, that's the most wood he's had on the ball all season. <laughs> so there's the reference. He got hit in the head. Yeah. What's the reference? And it was tied in, so it worked perfectly. So when you get a setup, you're looking for the joke, and the joke generally is in those references. So I depend on, I call them references, whatever you want to, yeah. things that are associated with whatever topic you're working on. And that could be for, for pretty much any topic. There's so many different references and other ways of saying Almost, almost anything, yeah. Um, cooking. Um, you burn stuff. Yeah. yeah the Slappy used to have a line like, my wife is a bad cook. I mean, how do you burn jello? <laughs> Funny yeah. line. Phyllis Diller yeah. says, I serve my meals in uh, three stages. Set the table, serve the food, bury the dead. <laughs> so again... References, yes. like that cliche, even though it's not tied in with cooking, but burying the dead. Right. So you're looking for the payoff for the setup that you created. Okay. Yeah, that's... Um, and then now when you when you would sit down to write, uh, would you, you know, how did you, you know, you know, did you plan it your day? And then what, you know, was there ever times when you didn't think you could get the topic done and, and things like that? Well, it, yeah, there's always a... With writing, what I recommend it to, to writers beginning is find out the best time of day for you to work. And that varies with people. Some people like to work early in the morning, some right after lunch, some before bedtime, some after bedtime. They stay up during the night and write. Find out what time is best for you and use that time and work the rest of your day, if you can, around it. Now, if you're writing and you're working, you're at a disadvantage because you, you do have to get a paycheck at the end of the week. 
But try and find out what the best time to work for you is and work around that. Um, sometimes you're under pressure. You need a joke in a certain amount of time. I mean, we, I traveled with Bob Hope on the military trips and he'd come down the aisle and say, give me some jokes be before we land. Well, when do we land? Six minutes. Okay. <laughs> so you try and get some jokes written in that amount of time. So it varies. Sometimes you have leisure, sometimes you have pressure. But a good writer should be able to start turning material out under either condition. Yeah. And how long would it... You said six minutes, so you could get a joke or some jokes done and, and how long do you... Most, most writers that I've met can write that quickly. Um, okay. And, and they're just ad-libbing. They're, they're improvising, if you want to put it that way. Now, they may refine the jokes. When you hit one, you say, well, let's make this a little better. So, but yeah, you can work in that amount of time. I tell a story, um, one of the highlights of my life with Bob Hope was when he was getting older and he was getting a little bit forgetful. I was driving to work, we were gonna do a monologue, and I heard that one of the presidents, and I forget which one, was going to give some kind of an award to Johnny Carson. Um, so I mentioned, I heard it on the radio on the way and I mentioned it to Bob Hope and that was it. He said, I hadn't heard about it, I, so I told him. And then he went out to do the monologue and because his timing was off, it didn't play very well. So he called me up on stage and he's at the microphone and he covers the microphone. He says to me, give me some jokes about Carson and the president. And I said, when do you want them? He said, now, I want to tell the audience now. <laughs> so I had to write jokes while I'm standing next to the microphone. Wow. So I did about four or five lines. He turned to the audience, told the jokes. They worked very well because they were so new. Uh-huh. And, and it was current. And it went over very well. And I felt so good because the monologue hadn't gone well. But now he got off with laughs. Ah. But... It happened that quickly. So he called you, so you're sitting beside, standing beside him on stage and you whisper the jokes to him? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So the audience saw you on stage with him? Yeah, right. Wow. And, but they didn't hear the exchange. Okay. Now, I left before he told the jokes, before okay. he went back to telling the jokes. Okay. But uh, sometimes it's that fast and you, and you write under that kind of pressure. Wow. Because, yeah, because like Bob Hope, he was very topical, so he probably needed a lot of jokes all the time, right? Oh, yeah, yeah. He flew from the California to New York one time, and it was before cell phones and all that. And uh, he landed in New York, and he called me, and he said, you know, you didn't give me any jokes about such and such, whatever the topic was. And I said, it, it didn't happen until after you took off. I said, I, I didn't know you wanted <laughs> jokes about that. He was in the air and I couldn't reach him. Wow. And I said, I didn't know you wanted jokes about that. He said, I want jokes about everything. Wow. <laughs> I said, that's going to cost you a little extra. <laughs> but that's the way he wanted it. He wanted to be very current. And if anybody asked him a question, he wanted to have a joke answer. Wow. That's really nice. Uh, so, um, okay, so you, so, you, so, you, so you work for him a lot. And uh, he... He was uh, obviously like the, I mean, there's still an airport named after him, so. Yeah. Um, and what was that like working with him? Was he tough? Was he cool? Was he? 
He was very, very pleasant. I, pleasant. I, I worked with him for 28 years. I liked him as much when I didn't work for him after all that year as when I did work for him. So he was a delightful man. But he was tough. He would get, he wanted good stuff. Mm-hmm. And he was tough on himself. But if you gave him some jokes and they didn't work, he'd say, run them through the typewriter again. Meaning rewrite them. Yeah, try it again. Try it again. And see, you can come up with better stuff than this. And that uh, is a pretty big part of uh, comedy writing because your first try at a topic or joke a lot of times is, is not flushed out enough or it takes a lot of rewriting to... Or there may be a better joke in there. You know, sometimes you you have a joke and you say, okay, this is the joke. But if you walk into a room full of comedy writers, they're going to start changing that joke. And sometimes the change they make is much better than the one you handed in. But you can also do that yourself if you have a series of jokes. And, and performers can do this, too. You've got a good joke, but there's nothing saying that can't be a little better. Hmm. So maybe try it a different way. Maybe try this. Maybe try that. And soon you get that one that really clicks. And do you think that that... So it, do you, you would say it's more of kind of the wording... Uh, than the delivery of those, or well, I think they go together. Okay, I, I think the wording and the delivery um, go hand in hand. In other words, if I write a joke for Bob Hope, uh, and I take the same joke and write it for Phyllis Diller, they'll probably be worded differently because Bob Hope has a certain style. A comedy writer has to be like a musician where you have an ear for the music Mm. and you can play a tune uh, with a little bit of jazz to it or you can play it very softly and very uh, romantically. So you have to pick up that ear for what they want and the same thing with hope. And an interesting thing, uh, and this applied to all the writers that worked with Bob Hope, you would put a joke through a typewriter and you would hear it as you typed it. You just hear it in your head. And when Hope delivered it, it always sounded the same as it it sounded out of the typewriter. So you're sitting there thinking about what it's going to sound and then you hear it and it's just like... Yeah. Yeah, and I could never figure out, and I don't know to this day whether it's because we... We're such good writers, I prefer to think this That's way. That's probably true. That, that we knew exactly his manners of speaking and so on and so forth. Or that his manner of speaking was so strong that, it, that the writers picked up on it. Oh, so I don't know which way it worked. Like uh, writing for Jack Benny, uh, same thing. Jack Benny has a certain style and the words come out as if you wrote them for Jack Benny. Yeah. Uh, and you have to catch that. You have to write for Phyllis the way Phyllis would say it, for whoever you're writing for, George Carlin, anybody. Yeah. Now, how do you think, um, has comedy, has it changed a lot since then, or is it still, you know, do the same things kind of work? Or, you know, like, how do you think from when you started in, you know, because that's been... We're 50 years, right? Since yeah. your first gig, your first paid one, has it, you know, do you still see, like, the joke structure saying, I mean, obviously, pop culture references and things like that, but as changes, as there's different celebrities, but the basics 
um, structure, I guess, or format of jokes, you know, is... Uh, well, I, I think the, the structure and the format can change. Um, it used to be there were comedy, comedians like Bob Hope, yeah. straight line, punchline, straight line, punchline, Henny Youngman, straight line, punchline, Phyllis Diller. And then that changed to where they would be more conversational, like Carlin, like Richard Pryor. Uh, so the comedy does change. And then the things you talk about. Uh, the older comedians talked about my lazy brother-in-law, my mother-in-law, my wife spends so much and is such a bad cook, and so on and so forth. Yeah. Um, those topics change. Nowadays, they, they talk about dating and so on. So the comedy does change in a sense, but the basic idea of forming comedy, the ideas behind it, don't really change. So, so because you mentioned, because so, so the, so the kind of topics they change a little bit because society or culture is a little different. I mean, before people were getting married and they had to talk about their wives and this. Now more people are single and dating, so that might be a thing. Exactly. But the way to get to the punchline is still a similar route. Exactly. And the, the same things go into it. Um, a big part of comedy is surprise. Mm -hmm. If you don't have surprise, you don't have comedy. So that has to go into it. How do you get the most surprise out of a line? Uh, and one way is to put the, the keywords towards the end of the joke. Yeah. Uh, Henny Youngman's classic line. Take my wife, please. Well, mm -hmm. that's it's take my wife, please. That's the last word. Yes. He could have said, boy, I wish somebody would take my wife. Not, Doesn't work because right. there's no surprise there. Yeah. So there are certain elements that go into it that you have to follow. You have to adhere to those uh, misdirection. You, you purposely take people and, and lead them down one road and then spring the, the joke on them. And, and, and why is it that that's what we, the surprise is what gets us, the laugh? It's just because it's a kind of a shot? What, it's... Well, I, I think it's because we've been outsmarted. Ah. When we're, when we're sitting in the audience, you start telling a joke, I start writing the punchline. Uh-huh. As an audience member. Yes. You are a professional... You're at the microphone, you've rehearsed it, you know what the punchline, you delivered a punchline, it's much better than the one I've thought of, uh. so I've been outsmarted, I laugh at it, yeah. I've been tricked, mm -hmm. and that's, I think that's the idea behind laughter. Someone said it, it and I don't know if this is really true or not, but it's like a boxer, there are two boxers, when they're in the ring, and one guy lands a punch, and from then on, He's clearly got the upper hand. Right. A little smile comes over his face. You know, he's, uh -huh. now he's laughing. I'm in charge. I'm the big guy. Uh, and that's the, the laugh is born out of that superiority. Well, we've just been tricked. So we have to admit that the comedian is superior to us for that one joke. Mm -hmm. The next straight line, we know we're going to top him. Right. <laughs> but we don't. And that's what, that's what the, the build-up is. That's the comedy of it. That, that's the comedy of surprise. So, this, yeah, the surprise really is what, uh, what gets them in. Because it's too often, uh, 
you know, if it's just something predictable, why would they would they laugh at it? Exactly. They're not going to. They're going to be ahead some, of the. Sometimes you hear jokes that are just statements. I had one joke that I think is is brilliant, and I can't even tell you which comic did it, but he's talking about marriage, and he said, "I, you know, honestly, I don't know why I got married. I think maybe I just got tired finishing my own sentences." Okay, that's a different approach to marriage. Yes. And it's a funny line. Yes. And almost anybody, another part of it is recognizability. Almost everybody in the audience is saying, yeah, my wife does the same thing or my husband does the same thing. So you recognize it and you laugh at it because it's happened to you. you know? Yeah, it's, re it's relatable. Yeah, and, uh, right, right. And um, so... Yeah, that's that's really interesting. That, that I'm kind of interested on how the the topics, you know, the world changes, but the the way to get to the jokes and the punchline at the end, it's uh, I'm I'm uh, I'm interested. Uh, it's just interesting to me, you know, the 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 way that things change in the world, but still funny is funny, you know. And that's that's right. And that's true. And, and what a need there are, are always is and has been and will be for it. Yes, and I, I think it it is true, and it it works. Uh, Globally, too. I mean, people laugh at the same things. The laughter sounds the same in Eastern Europe mm -hmm. as it does in Cleveland. Right. You know? <laughs> yeah. The, the people laugh. And... and then, so you wrote, so it's, so you had all this experience. You, 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 you had a uh, career uh, as a comedy writer. And then, then you started, on top of that, you started writing books to help other people. And how did that, um, you know, how did that come about? How did you get inspired to do that? Well, one inspiration was I enjoyed what I was doing so much that I said I w I'd like other people to enjoy it too. And I, I believe that people should be able to do whatever they really want to do. Mm -hmm. uh, but when I traveled around as a speaker, every city you go to, people would ask about comedy writing. How do I get into it? How do I start it? And... Los Angeles, New York, fine, you can join the uh, guild or whatever. Right. But in like Des Moines, Iowa, you can't look it up in the white pages. Mm -hmm. So I thought there should be something where I can take what I know and give it to people that want to know it, want to find out how to do it. And my, my premise in writing this book was not, this is the only way to write a joke. But this is a way. This worked for me. Try it for you. If it works, fine. If it doesn't, then try a different way. But so you're kind of using the same method you learned uh, to... You're given a blueprint what worked for you, just as Bob Hope was a blueprint for you to how to write a... Yeah, yeah. That's the, the comedy writing step-by-step. Step. The goal in that was to take a blank sheet of paper... And someone who didn't know anything about show business or comedy or anything, but take that blank sheet of paper and convert it to a finished monologue. What steps do you go through? And that's what I, that the reason for the title and the self-taught was that I taught myself to do this and I wanted to let other people, it's funny you have a book teaching you how to teach yourself, mm -hmm. but it works. Uh, and the workbook was... All right, we've gone over in comedy writing step by step. Um, we went through the process. Now here are some exercises. Try it. It's almost like um, 
if you're teaching someone to play tennis, you say, here's, here's how you hit a volley. Now go out and hit some. Right. Now start hitting them. I'm going to hit you some volleys to your right. Return those. I'm going to hit some to your left. I'm going to hit some over your head. Now you have to go back and get them. So you get used to trying a whole diff bunch of different things. That's the reason for so many exercises. And as you get more proficient in the exercises, your overall game improves. So you can play the tennis court now and you can handle uh, the comedy writing room now because you've tried all these things. You know? Yeah, you, you put your work in. And that's, and that's, you know, you can read, but you, just doing it again and again and again and again will we'll, uh, we'll build you up, like anything, actually. Yeah, right. Well, we, I mentioned that in one of the chapters in, I think, Comedy Writing Step by Step, um, that there are two kinds of knowledge. There's intellectual knowledge, but there's also the experience. Mm -hmm. So if I teach you how to swing a golf club, I can tell you all the mechanics of it so you know every move of it. Not I can't, but someone who yeah. knows what they're talking about can <laughs> And, and you know every move, but you still can't hit a golf ball until you go out and hit 200 or 300 of them. Right. Then you get good at it because now you're putting the two together. And the same thing here. You've got to learn what the process is, but at the same time, you've got to start practicing the process and doing different parts of it. And if you can get those put together... You can handle yourself pretty much in any situation when someone says, hey, we need a joke by such and such. You can generally turn some out. Some of them will be good, some of them not so good, but but you can handle a joke. You, right. You, you went through it. So um, uh, with uh, you also wrote on some, uh, I want to just talk about this. You got involved in uh, pr producing and, uh, and uh, worked on some TV shows, including uh, Three's Company and Welcome Back, Cotter. How did... How did that evolve? How did you go from, you know, just writing some jokes for some comedians and then, boom, you're, you're working as a producer and a writer on TV shows? That pretty much was necessity. Uh, when I came out to Hollywood, there were like 22 variety shows on the air. And that's what I wrote. Variety, jokes, mm -hmm. monologues, things like that. Um, and then went on to the Carol Burnett Show, which was the epitome of variety shows. Yeah. While we were on the Burnett show, we noticed there were only two shows, two variety shows on the air. I think Sonny and Cher and maybe Hee Haw. Wow. And we said, so when I came out, there were 800 people writing variety. Then there were 12. <laughs> so we said, we better, when this show goes off the air, we better have something else to fall back ah, on. Ah, okay. So we started writing sitcoms. Uh, we would write a uh, All in the Family. Mm -hmm. We wrote Joe and Sons. We wrote uh, different shows. Yeah. And uh, kind of got our name around there that we could do sitcoms. And then when uh, Carol Burnett canceled the show, she gave it up. Uh, we were unemployed but we were picked up right away as producers of Welcome Back, Cotter. So we had established ourselves well enough to, to move on. But that was purely necessity. I mean, I, we both, both my partner and I preferred variety, but there, it wasn't around. 
So you had to make the switch. Yeah, yeah. And then Tim Conway came back with Variety. Okay. We went on to that show. I said, this is fun. <laughs> cool, good. Well, I want to uh, let, let the audience know we your website is comedywritersroom.com. And that's an excellent uh, website where you can, there's just a lot of resources there and a, a lot of knowledge to be uh, picked up on. And, um, and uh, you got uh, your workbook coming back, Comedy Writing Workbook. Uh, also, um, Comedy Self-Taught Workbook. This is really good. I have this actually on my on my uh, kitchen table when I uh, have a little time in, during the days. I like to just sit there and work on some of those exercises, get the mind going, because I feel like, um, you know, you can sit there and, and struggle, and sometimes just doing something will get your mind thinking yeah. in a way to yeah, right, help right, you with yeah. your set. And um, and then you got a new book coming out called "Be a Standout and Stand Up." Well, actually, that, that's that's a, we're redoing two of them: the comedy writing workbook, the original workbook, and um, this one, "Be a Standout and Stand Up Comedy." It's it's about how to be a little bit different, do stand up, and do it well enough that you shine above the others. Which is tough to do. It's got, tough to do. Because yes. there's a lot of funny, lot of funny people out there. So how do you separate yourself from the pack? Yeah, well, I, I think uh, that the big thing that separates you from most other comics is material. So bottom line, comedy depends on material. And then uh, part of that is pacing. If you're making people laugh, you want them to laugh harder. Uh-huh. And more frequently, don't let up on them. If you've got an audience rolling in the aisles, keep them rolling. Yeah. Give them a little kick once in a while. <laughs> Just keep them rolling on the floor. And then rehearsal. Know that you know your act, that you can prepare it, you can deliver it the way it should be delivered. And uh, when I said I started as an MC, when I first started, I wrote a piece, and I couldn't memorize it, I had it written in front of me, and someone was supposed to, it was supposed to be a two-man act, and the other guy didn't show up. Oh. So now I'm doing a monologue. Yeah. So I did it, and a friend of mine was in the audience. He said, boy, you were terrific tonight. Um, which I was. Yeah. Right? I, 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 Very humble, right? Yeah, I mean, uh, my <laughs> wife tells me to be humble, whatever that is. But, but uh, I, I said, really enjoyed it? He said, yeah. He said, you were really fine. He said, but you were nervous. I said, how'd you tell that? He said, because the paper was shaking like crazy. <laughs> but the point is, the paper was shaking, but the words were coming out well rehearsed. Mm -hmm. That makes sense. Yeah. So I was shook, but because of the rehearsal, because I knew the act well enough by now, not the act, is one routine, um, that it came out not nervous. And that's a big part of being on stage, too. I think you have to be so well rehearsed that you don't falter. You don't stop in, along the way. And if you do falter, if you forget a line, you have a way of covering that. And a good comic can do that and not make it look apparent. Right. So it's those three things. Rehearsal, material, and pacing. Rehearsal, material, and pacing. And uh, you also have a... Th Thing that you talk a lot about in your books is um, have fun with it. That seems like kind of a theme or a, a motto. Can you go into that a little bit? Yeah, it is a theme of mine. I, I end almost everything by saying have some fun with it. Um, 
when I was working for another client, had a head writer who would give us our assignment, but always end it with something negative. Hmm. You know, here's the topic, but there's nothing funny about it. If you can find three jokes on that topic, you're a better man than I am, and so on <laughs> and so forth. And you hang up, and now you you look at the typewriter, you start hating it, yeah. because there's nothing funny inside of it. Yeah. Um, so I said, I'm never going to do that. So when I gave assignments, when I became a head writer, I would give the assignments, and I'd say, have some fun with it. And always, like, here are the assignments. They're... they're Neither good nor bad. They're just assignments. But have some fun. Play with it. And when you play with it, you, you can pull the fun out of it. So that's what gave birth to that idea. And I still stick with that. If you're having fun, you're... Uh, yeah, and the more work you put into it, the more fun it is. That's right. There, there is... I, I make this to be fun, and it is fun, and it's exciting. Uh, but there is work involved. Yeah. And if you don't want to do the work, then don't bother with comedy writing or comedy. Yeah. It's just not fun when your jokes bomb. <laughs> but when they do good, it's fun. That, that's true. It, it, but you learn something from right. it. Right. You do. You know? That's true. Um, I played one night uh, when I was giving my talk, and it wasn't going so well. And I called Bob Hope. And I said, Bob... The audience didn't respond. I said, what do you do when that happens? He said, what night was it? I said, Monday night. He said, I bombed Monday night, too. They're all bad. Monday night was a bad night. <laughs> so he lifted me up. Yeah. You know? But but it's true. I heard Bob Newhart say that any comedian that tells you that he never bombed is a liar. Yeah, <laughs> I agree. It's out there and it's part of it. But you can take something home from it. What did I do? That's another thing, too. If you're bombing, it's your fault. Mm -hmm. Yeah. <laughs> the audience doesn't come there and pay cover charge, four drink minimum or whatever, yeah. to sit there and say, I'm not having a good time. Right. They want to have a good time. It's your job to make them have a good time. So it's always the comic's fault, or at least you should treat it that way. Yeah. Look to yourself first and uh, do whatever has to be done to repair it. And generally, it goes to the... The material yeah. makes some jokes better. So it all comes down to the to the material. I think so. Yeah. yeah. Well, this has been great, man. I, I really appreciate it, Gene. Uh, so once again, guys, comedywritersroom.com. I want to thank uh, Gene Perret and Linda Perret for uh, having me here today. And uh, uh, Gene, do you do you know what time it is? Well, it's got to be swine time. <laughs> it's swine time. Thank you guys for listening. See you next time. <laughs>